Good morning. If you have your scriptures, let's turn over to Psalm 125 together. Continuing our series in Psalms, we're going to do two of them together today. And so we'll put 125 together with 126. The reason is that they really are closely connected with one another in terms of subject matter. If we look at Psalm 125, we're going to see the, the call to trust the Lord when everything is not okay. And we look at Psalm 126, we're going to see that He puts it back together, that He gives us help in our darkest days. And so as we uh, look at these psalms together, let me read 125 and 126, and we're going to pray, and we're going to jump, jump in after that. So 125, let's go. A song of ascents. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's pray. Father, in this place this morning... We need the Spirit to come and teach us Your Word. We pray that You would be pleased in the way we think about Your Word, the meditations of our heart and what we say, the words of our mouth. I pray for the, the one who comes in here today it's as if they are going up the mountain towards Jerusalem and they see your goodness and grandeur and they feel the sense of your largeness and glory and greatness and all is well. Oh Lord, come and meet with them. And I pray for the one who's in the congregation today who's hearing all this praise and worship and prayer. And their heart is heavy. I pray that you would come along and you would help the congregation be aware. The heights and the depths. 
to make room, to believe. Lord, for our weaker or our going through a hard time, brother and sister, help us be especially sensitive today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this passage speaks very plainly to us. And if we would look at Psalm 125, really the the heartbeat of what we're going to look at today, uh, and we're going to kind of try to apply to our lives the sound in the very first line of the very first psalm that we read, Psalm 125. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. The nature of the Christian walk is that we become a body of believers, a team, a community, a family of people who are growing in our trust of the Lord. You come into the family by believing that the one that was promised of old, even in this passage and before, the one who would save us from our sins has come. That there is one name given under heaven among humankind whereby we must be saved. And so we believe Jesus Christ alone can save. And then the hard work starts. The hard work of trusting trusting the Lord when we have growing doubts in our heart. Trusting the Lord when we go through the most difficult days. Trusting the Lord when He doesn't act like we thought He would act. Trusting the Lord when He does act like we never thought He would act. Trusting the Lord through affliction. Trusting the Lord when the blessing that we had in our hands is gone. We don't know if it will ever come back. Trusting the Lord together while we wait. And that's the essence of Psalm 125 and 126. Trusting the Lord together while we wait him to come through. Here's the the task of a growing Christian disciple is that we are ever in the Word. We are looking at the Word. We are asking the Lord to help apply the Word to our hearts. And we see kind of where we are in the the Psalms of Ascents that we're looking at today. We see that we are on 125 and 126. Next week is Psalm 127. It's kind of a, a pivotal psalm in these songs. 127 says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. And so if you'll recall these 15 Psalms, we're going to, if we were like Israel, we would go in a pilgrimage together and sing these songs regularly. Maybe we would say annually. It would be a tradition. The oldest would probably lead out the loudest because that's how older people are. And the younger people would be hearing these songs year after year and going, wait a second, teach me, why do we sing these? What's going on here? And so we're singing the songs together. As we look at 126 and 127, here's the, excuse me, 125 and 126, our psalms today, here's the nature of what we've experienced if we were Israel at that time. We had had the blessing from the Lord. We had a king on the throne. We were in Jerusalem. We we possessed the land that God had promised to us, but we had disobeyed him. And for a long season, the Lord led us out of the promised land. Now, what do you do when you have a promise from God and you've received the fullness of that promise 
And now you go through not a couple years, 70 years, an entire generation that have never lived in the land, an entire generation that had never had a king of, of a good king over them, an entire generation that wondered if they would ever be restored, and they're living their life. What is going to happen? And so Psalm 125 and 126 are written long after this reality that God will lead us home. And we'll look at that as we, as we go. Because the nature of this community is that we are learning to do what the Israelites did in Psalm 125. And that is trust the Lord. Not just a come into the fold trust, but an Every day I need him. I'm desperate for him. I am searching the scriptures. I'm leaning on them. I am learning to work them out in my life. I have these opinions that the world around me tells me I should have, and I'm wondering if they line up with God's word. I have these values in my heart that the world around me tells me is normal and natural, and I have to work them out as I submit my heart to the word of God. So here we go. We're going to move through these passages kind of in broad strokes, okay? When we trust the Lord together, when we trust the Lord together, we cannot be moved. And you see that in the very first verse. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion. Kids, in the group, it's all of us, look up. Look up. Here's a mountain, an immovable mountain. This is where we come every year when we worship the Lord. Get your eyes fixed on this place, this Mount Zion, this place of the temple, if you will, God's blessed Jerusalem, his capital. It cannot be moved, but it abides forever. The picture is we can't be stagnant. No matter what kind of experience we have in this world, we can't be staggered. Will affliction stagger us? Oh, it hurts. And we get punched. And we get wobbled. The difficulties of our lives have an impact in our heart. Though my affliction is great, I believe that God will help me through this. He will redeem it. He will faithfully make things right. What about my moral choices? We're learning to believe God in what He says is right. He reigns over the entire universe. He knows what's best for me. He knows what will hurt me. And he has spoken clearly to you and me about what is right and about what is wrong. And we as a congregation will ever be happily submitting to him and believing what the scriptures say about morality and, and walking in his ways because we believe him. We trust him together in mission. The purpose of our lives is to enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ, and proclaim His excellencies all the days of our life. And so that's why you exist and why I exist. We're learning to trust the Lord in this. This is the mission of your life. If you're a teacher, you're, you're called to teach in such a way that God gets the glory. If you're uh, working at a factory job, you're called to do the factory job in such a way that God gets the glory. If you're a doctor or a lawyer, you get the idea. We, in mission, we are called to give God the glory as we live our life. And we will not be moved from this. Listen, 
everything in life would seek to move us. In Psalm 10, the psalmist writes about how we get moved. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away in our times of trouble? And that thought takes root if we're not careful. And we ponder that and we compare and we look at others and we think about what's going on in the world and we come down here to verse 6. I say in my heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. You see what happens when we start putting the spotlight on ourselves. We think we can do it. And then we meet adversity. And we find that we cannot. And that is why the stability, the immovability of the people of God in this congregation and in this generation is so beautiful. The whole world wants something immovable and the whole world apart from Christ is nothing but moved. It's like sinking, sifting sands beneath their feet. And they're looking around going, how can I find some stability in my life? And this passage addresses that to us. Those who trust in the Lord are, Mount, are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And when you trust the Lord, you're surrounded. That word means at least two things. It means the Lord is on every side of us. And it means the Lord is very near to us. In fact, the word is often used of neighborhood. He lives in your neighborhood as you trust him. He knows what's going on. He knows how much your dog barks at night. He knows what happens He's very, very near to you. That is why it is so, and we have to admit this as the people of God, it is so shocking when we get blindsided. I thought, God, you had my back. And all of us go through stuff in this world that blindsides us. Maybe a relationship that you thought would last forever that comes to a screeching halt a job that you thought you were doing a good job at. It may be something small, like you drive your car and you make a lane change and literally it's a blind spot that causes a problem. This week was a profound week in the lives of many people in this congregation because on Thursday, June 8th, a life was was delivered into this world that will change us for forever. Last week on Monday, Ashley and Austin Mork went in and they heard the heartbeat. 37 weeks long. It's coming. Baby's coming. Wednesday night, Austin and Ashley and Cohen are surrounding Ashley's belly and counting the cakes. Thursday morning, went into labor a little before we thought to deliver a beautiful little girl. When they left the house at 5.30, all was well. When they got to Sheboygan Aurora Medical Center, they couldn't find a heartbeat. 
an ultrasound confirmed that the baby had passed away. And little Scotland Taylor is with the Lord. When I visited them first, the baby had not been delivered. And when I went back at 2 o'clock, 1.30 in the afternoon, put my hands on a little baby. Her lips were as red as can be. It looked like she was wearing a little lipstick. And Ashley said, I'm only sad for Austin because I got to feel her move all these months. And can I just tell you what that is in my heart? It's a blind side. Never saw it coming. Makes me think, God doesn't surround me. Somehow he let this very, very, very bad thing happen. And you know what the nature of this congregation is? To admit that. To feel it. To pray for them. To let them have some time to breathe. To not try to answer all the questions too quickly. Eventually to tell the story of how we are brokenhearted. By the way, uh, Grandpa of beautiful little Scotland sitting right here with us this morning. Grandma was here, but I don't think she can take it right now. Blindside. The whole world is waiting to see what the church does when we get blindsided. Throw up our hands. Give up on God. Anger. Bitterness. Or do we somehow keep our eyes fixed on the Lord and hold each other up in prayer and believe. Yes, as, as uh, Ashley and Austin would tell you, hold your kids a little tighter. Don't take anything for granted. But believe that God is at work doing good things. Now listen, they're going to ask a lot of questions. They aren't even ready to ask questions yet. We aren't suggesting that if you just look on the bright, look at this. Here's how we prayed for them Thursday. Father's Day is next Sunday. And then we've got birthdays. We'll come to October 28th and they will celebrate their sixth wedding anniversary. And the holidays will be here. They have two, he, they have two siblings pregnant going to give birth in the next weeks and months. And here's what we're praying for them. God, hold them. Help them. Let us be a place where they can come with their questions. Let us be a place where they can come with their doubts. It's like we're, we're walking up Jerusalem and we're seeing these immovable things and Austin and Ashley and the whole family is with us going, yeah, but blindside. And we're like, yeah, we know. We know. It hurts. We don't have answers for you, but this we know. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. He will help us. Psalm 139, this we know, the Lord knit her together in her mother's womb. And here's the beauty of Psalm 139. He hems me in before and behind. What does he do? He surrounds me. He puts his hand on me. We believe that he is with us in our brokenness. And the psalmist in Psalm 139 cries out, this kind of knowledge that the Lord doesn't leave me when I'm brokenhearted is too good for me. It's too amazing for me. 
match what the world needs to see in the church when we feel like life blindsides us. We cannot believe how good God is to us. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you're with me. Two truths come from this psalm. One, he's with us in the trouble. Two, he's leading us through it. Not to it. Through it. And that's the nature of trusting the Lord more and more together as a body of believers. Note in verse 1, it says, uh, we will trust him forever. Note verse 2, from this time forth, forevermore. The Lord is always faithful, and that is not for this world only. And we'll look at that more in just a few moments. The specific word to the Jewish people, verse 3, you see that? The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous. And here they are, singing as they come to Jerusalem. If there's an evil king reigning in this world, and more particularly, if there is an evil king reigning in Jerusalem, here's what we know for sure. God's not done yet. God made a promise that a righteous king will sit on that throne and will rule from Jerusalem forever and ever. And if, there's, if that has not yet happened, we know this for sure, God's not done yet. Your eyes and mine will see Jesus reigning from Jerusalem forever and ever. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land. So the Lord's still at work. Lest the righteous stretch out their hands to do wrong. When we trust the Lord together, we cannot be moved. Number two, when we trust the Lord together, we pray for peace. Do you see that? Verse four, you see, it's a prayer, right? Because now the psalmist here is, and the singers are directing their prayer upward. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good. And are you with me? I spent a lot of time on that topic this week. Because here's the thing. There are none that are good. Do good to those who are good. Oh, guess what? That's a category of none except Jesus. So how do we make sense of that? I mean, you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, how about Romans, uh, which says there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, that's that's a one place we would turn to just show one another that none of us falls into the category of good. But here's the beauty. Those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have faith in the Lord. Look at the second line of verse 4. To those who are upright in their hearts, that God himself does a work in the people of God to make us good, not on the outside to try to fool the world, not on the outside to try to fool one another, not on the outside to try to emphasize human efforts. He makes us good in our hearts. From the inside out, God does a work of transforming us, making us good by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. God is so good. And therefore, he himself births. He creates a class of people who indeed are good as we belong to him. Don't let the world tell you that the church is nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Hey, look, there's enough hypocrisy to go around. But the reality is the, the true people of God are people who are being transformed from the inside out and are good according to the work of God in our lives. Those who are upright in our hearts. 
And we want to be those people. And that's what we pray for. Lord, make the church full of people who from the inside out are good and are doing good in the name of Jesus Christ. Make that the case. Furthermore, but to those who turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. And you see there's a couple of I'll just say this. I think that there's a, a group of people who are in the church who are not truly converted, who will be eventually led away, that is, punished forever with those who are rebels against God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's how we pray. We pray, Lord, do a work. Do a work. Make the church pure in heart. Do a work here in our midst. And can I just emphasize to this? As you are reaching out to your neighbor, you are reaching out in prayer, in humility, praying this prayer, Lord, help my neighbor see Jesus. Make him good from the inside out. It's not just my words that I want him to hear. I want you to do a work that only you can do in his life. Do good to those who are good. So we pray and ask God to do what only he can do. When we trust the Lord, together we celebrate God's work. We're going to go right through Psalm 126, okay? I'm going to keep going here. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. And so we've got the picture, right? You got the picture. They had the land. They forfeited the land. They had the king. They forfeited the king. They had the dynasty. They forfeited the dynasty. And then you remember that for 70 years, they were uh, gone. They were uh, finally Persia, or excuse me, um, Cyrus in Persia. He's ruling over them. And he's like, okay, guys, tell you what, it's been 70 years. Why don't you guys, you guys can go back to Jerusalem if you want to go back to Jerusalem. Go ahead and go back. And you'll remember the story. It took some time to get a few people to go back, and not everyone back, went back at the same time. They get back to Jerusalem. It was not exactly amazing, right? But at some point, maybe we would use the example of Nehemiah. He goes back and he sees the place in ruins. But the point is, his feet are back on the streets of Jerusalem. And so this question, will the trouble last? Will this time of, of chastening be forever? Have you left us forever? And Nehemiah steps on the streets in Jerusalem. And this joy comes over him like crazy. I wonder if he was part and parcel to writing this psalm. Can you believe it? Sure, Jerusalem's not what it once was. Yes, the temple is destroyed. Yes, the crops are right now failing. Yes, this is not at all what we thought it would be. But listen to it. Here's what we've got. God has not forgotten his covenant with his people. He will be faithful. In a time of great trial and trouble in our lives, God will restore us and he will do the work that he's promised that he will do. This is proof that God is still at work in our life. You see that? Look at verse 1. Uh, verse one. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. I mean, it's like, pinch me. Are you kidding me? Look how good God has been to them. And that work that he did in a previous generation is for them and it's for us. It's a past 
joy that is overflowing, that proves that God is faithful when we, his people, are not. It proves that he's engaged in your life. It proves that he led them out for 70 years so he could lead them back home faithfully. It proves that he keeps his promises. It's, we can't even believe this, how good God is to us. Verse 2, my mouth was filled with, with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Do you know that when the people of God celebrate what God is doing, it has an impact in this place. And so we are full of joy and happiness, and we, what, coming out of our mouth is, look what God is doing. It has an impact on those relationships around us. So if you have, if you have people who, who are far from the Lord or wandering from the Lord, could I just encourage you? Don't try to win a uh, debate with them. Be joyful in the Lord. Be happy with Jesus. Be firm in your convictions. Be immovable in your, in your heart for him. In between services, I had a lady come up to me and she said, you know, um, she's an older lady. and She said, I got divorced at some point in my life. And my husband told me, as he, the last thing he said to me after he divorced me and he was leaving the house, and he said, for all these years, all I was trying to do is get you doubt your faith and turn away from the Lord. And you wouldn't do it. And she didn't do it. And she is happily remarried for decades since that time. But this morning she told me the story. Friends, being happy in the Lord and firm in your conviction will have a ripple effect in the people you know that you cannot even guess as the Lord uses that and we're back now in verse 2, then our, our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. You say, John, why do you say what you just said? Look at verse, the end of verse 2. Then they said among the nations. This isn't people who might want to know the Lord. This isn't people like I just described, close to you. This is like the, the, the majority opinion of people who could, care, could not care less about God. They will see what God has done for his people and the joy that we celebrate him with, and they will sit up and look and say, well, let's look what they'll say. The Lord has done great things for them. Just be joyful. And what that means is you, are, you have one eye on the past, and your life is constantly constantly fueled by all of the saving work that God has done throughout history and all of the work that he's done to show himself strong from the beginning. Look at verse 3. All of that past joy exists to give us current joy. We should be the most joyful people in the world because of what God has done in the past. And look at verse 3. This is the response of the people of God. Well, if the nation tells us that the Lord has done great things for us, maybe we should tell one another. Maybe we should remind one another he's pretty good. He has done great things, and that's what verse 3 says. In the, in the current moment, in the present, the Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. And this should be the nature 
of the congregation. Those who trust the Lord are increasing in joy and gladness and celebration. Not trite little veneer, not nonsensical, not just, not just for the moment, but deep, abiding conviction about the person and work of God in Jesus Christ and his faithfulness to it all these years. I hope that you have got not only a, a sense of Egypt and how God has saved his people at that time, not only a sense of, um, we could go through the list, we could talk about this psalm right here, Cyrus and how he delivered the people back to the land. He always keeps his promises. We often talk about 1948. The whole world sits up and says, without an army, without a weapon, without a king, without a, a nation, somehow in the most contested land on earth, the whole world gave the land back to Israel. That is a miracle. But I hope you've got a list. I remember what happened on this date when the Lord was faithful. I hope we have a list as a church as we look out there and we see what God's doing there and we're reminded of all the ways in which God has had his hand on this congregation, how he's called us to be a light in Sheboygan County for the, for the next generation to know Jesus and to respond to him. We should have a list and the past joy should be informing our current joy, but that's not all. As we look at these last verses, when we trust the Lord together, not only are we celebrating God's work, we're praying for one another. Restore our fortunes. Now, that's the second time that phrase is used. Um, restored fortunes in verse 1 of Psalm 126. Restore our fortunes in verse 4. It literally means we've had turn. You know, have you ever heard someone say this wrongly? Like, hey, man, we need to turn the ship around off. 360 degrees. And you're like, no, no, 360 degrees means... But that's what this passage says. If ever we can use that phrase, we can use it now. We were in the blessing. We received it. We had the king. You turned us. You turned us away and you've punished us for a while. Now here's the literal expression. Turn our turnings, Lord. We're going away from what you had for us and what you have for us. Turn our turnings so that we can. So if ever a sportscaster or anyone uses the phrase, you need to turn 360 degrees, think of Psalm 126. Turn our turnings. That's what we're asking the Lord to do. Lord, would you turn our turnings? Restore the fortunes. That is, be good to your people in this life. Help us see the goodness, what you've called us to. Guys, uh, as we, I want you to see that the past joy informs the present joy, and that the past joy and the present joy are like a grain of sand next to Mount Everest compared to the future joy that's in store for those who know and love Jesus Christ. And so Nehemiah walks the streets of broken down Jerusalem. Some of us have the gift, we call it a gift of uh, sarcasm. Do you have the gift of sarcasm? Some of you do. Thank you for it. Some of us have the gift of pessimism. It's probably not going to work out. Thanks. 
And then we do this thing when we're really getting hardcore. And we're like, you know what I call it? I call it the gift of realism. This is how it's probably I have been around the block and I have seen how things really work out in our life. And you know, it's this good old days kind of uh, like mindset. You know, like, okay, look, here we are, church. Here we are, people. Sure, we're back in Jerusalem, but it stinks. We're back in Jerusalem, but the walls are broken down. We're back in Jerusalem. We read in various places, but the animals now live in the streets. That's gross. We're back in Israel, but the crops aren't cropping. We have no, no milk and no honey, and we had promised a land flowing with milk and honey. None of it. We have no king. That really really a problem. So here's what Nehemiah faces as he walks back in. He, he faces the sarcasm and the realism and the pessimism of all these people that are ripping on him and telling him it can't be. And what they're really kind of saying is, man, you know, the good old days. Remember the good old days? And by the way, this temple that you're about to rebuild, it's like a garage. It stinks. It used to be beautiful and amazing, and now it's like cinder block. So what do we do with that? Well, verse 4 is what we do with that. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. That's what you and I are called to do. Okay, life is hard. And most of the time we live in between what some people think, what all the people think is the good old days and the days of complete fulfillment that are yet to come. That's called life. Welcome to it. We struggle, and our bodies break down, and we have blindsided problems together. But the Lord promises that there will be a group of people in every generation, and we're it, who will keep our eyes fixed on the Lord together and will trust him more and more and more as we walk together. And we'll sing songs of praise to his name together. And when you're weak in the body of the Lord, someone next to you is going to cry out the song and you're going to think, how can you sing that song? I just got blindsided. And we're going to believe it for one another. And we're going to sing it year after year, and it's going to make sense in someone's heart. And one day, as we are broken and, and bruised by the troubles of life, you're going to find that you're singing that song along with. And some of us are called, in fact, let me say it this way, all of us are called to mundane faithfulness. Verse 5 would say, sow in tears. We're all called to sow in tears. Go out. While things aren't perfect, and be faithful. So in tears. We're called to mundane faithfulness in between the good old days and the future days of fullness. A lot of our lives are not characterized by fruit, they're characterized by weeds. That's okay. So in tears. Because those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. When we go to be with the Lord, when we see the fullness of his promise, when we receive the next installment of his grace, we are going to be shouting with joy. He who goes out weeping, and we have this picture of them having the king and having Jerusalem, and the foreign country comes in and takes possession, and they, they go out weeping. What's the Lord going to do with them? Well, as they bear the seed for sowing, 
He's going to bring them home with shouts of joy. The mundane difficulty, the tears that you cry today, that I cry today, it's not the way it's supposed to be. I don't have all the answers for why it is that God allows hard things to happen, but this I know, he is near the brokenhearted. And the whole watching world needs to see that the one radical difference with the way that the church responds when the worst trouble comes is we believe the promises of God. We trust him. Quickly, let's, we're going to give four statements of application, and then we're going to be done. Based on the four concepts that we just saw, here we go. Ready? Responsive growing Christians. You may want to write this quickly or look at it later online or maybe neither. I don't know. Responsive growing Christians, number one, confidence. We are growing by becoming aware of what God has said and believing him. You are giving yourself to the word of God as a statement of of regular discipline because you care what God says. And we need you to care what God says because this congregation needs your faith. We need you to trust so that you bring your voice into the congregation to help in our day of trouble. Confidence, growing confidence. Number two, dependency. This job can't be happening because you have the teaching of the word or a good worship team or because you um, have a program in place or a Awana's there. We are completely dependent upon God every second of every day to make evil people pure, to make bad people good, to, to help you love your neighbor in the name of Jesus and not be judgmental or not give up. We're dependent, and so we're asking God for what only he can do. Number three, joyful awareness of what's going on in the world. Now listen, not just awareness. Awareness of what's going on in the world is Fox News. Joyful awareness of what's going on in the world is saying, the past work that God has done is bringing me current joy, and that is just a tiny little granular of sand compared to the Everest of a future joy that's coming, and all my friends are going to see me behave and act and sing and rejoice like that's a reality. Joyful awareness of what's going on in God's world. Number, number four, and finally, perseverance. You're going to go out crying, weeping, with, so, with seed in your hand. We need you to serve here. We need you to serve. When I say here, I mean Sheboygan County. I don't mean every person in this room has to be in, formally involved in a ministry in this church, though many of us will be, and we need more of us to be. But all of us are engaged in the mission that God has for us. You know why? It can't be stopped. What God is doing in this world through your faithfulness and mine, through the faithfulness of this church, is the story of this generation. Your name, your tears, your brokenness, your singing is what God's going to use to draw in unbelievers and see that in this congregation and in this generation, God has reserved for himself a people who trust in the Lord. Let's stand and be dismissed. Lord, immovable, not because we hold on so tight, 
not because we're so great, immovable because Jesus has paid our sin debt and been risen from the, from the dead. Immovable because you are so good. And Father, I pray that these psalms fit uh, in my heart in such a way, Lord, that I could hold out hope appropriately, that I could just be faithful, that I could keep believing when the worst thing happens. I pray for the one, Lord, who is uh, really, really struggling. We think of Austin and Ashley. We think of Joel and Sheila and the whole family today. Scotland Taylor is with you. I think of David. And he said, well, my son can't come back and be where I am, but I will go to be where he is. Father, we believe that Scotland is with you. And we know that the realities and joys of heaven are real. And we don't know why it feels like sometimes life blindsides us, but this we know, you are near when we feel blindsided. So as a church congregation, lift up a, a new level, a deepening level of trust in your word in this generation. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.